Yo, yo, yo. It's C-Money, and I'm giving you the hottest fine news from the eyes of the DJ and the mouth of a burger. It's Wednesday, September 21st, and we're eating. Let's get it. Super big day. It's been a super big week. Keeping with the tagline. I tell you what, yesterday was a tangent if I have ever gone on one. I tell you what, I tell you what, I tell you what. Go check out that song, 444, by Chris and Wovaka. I gotta be calm. I really have been getting frustrated. You know, I said we were going to come with some hard-hitting facts today, and that is exactly what we're doing. I bring you the intro of the Future of Money and Payments Report pursuant to Section 4B of Executive Order 14067. That's right, motherfuckers. We are getting into it. We are the tip of the spear. We got some shit. Some notes written down directly from the source. Everything is a direct quote. We will go into some private information. Some of this information was touched on yesterday, but it was not dug deep on. I did not give you guys the exact facts. And that is what we do on the C-Money Web3 TV podcast on the Colin Shumwell Show. And so at the end of the day, at the very end of the day, we need to make sure we are getting through this mustard, liquid, smelly, really annoying data-esque numbers. And so I did everything I could to make this simple and to make this basically be in normal words. But when you talk about a country's currency, there's so many red flags. There's so many things and nuances to talk about. This was a 54-page document, folks. And I was able to condense it down to about eight pages. So you are definitely, definitely, definitely going to want to stick around throughout the whole podcast because I'd say it almost gets more interesting the deeper we get. So without further ado, let's get on into it. We talked about how on March 9th, 2022, Biden signed an executive order on ensuring responsible, relevant agencies to submit to the president a report on the future of money and payment systems. 
Money services three core functions, a unit of account, a medium of exchange, and a store of value. In America, it can be public money, primarily and only a liability of the central bank or private money, a liability of a private intermediary, business, or entity. Consumers and businesses use retail payment systems for transactions that typically involve smaller dollar amounts. Banks and other financial institutions institutions use wholesale payment systems that generally involve larger dollar amounts. The central bank is at the center of the monetary system. Reflecting this position, central bank money tends to underpin interbank payments and serve as the backbone of the broader payment system. This is the issue right here, folks. This is me talking. In addition, the Federal Reserve provides currency and reserve balances, operates payment systems, and supervises certain intermediaries that issue private money and make payments. Even as the money and payment system evolves, the central bank's role in the final settlement must be preserved to promote economic growth, efficiency, and other public interests. Now, this is not me saying this. This is... That was direct. That was directly from the report, and that is what's bullcrap. That's where we go straight off the rails. You know, I got that highlighted in deep, deep red. There is no reason why we talk about how the Federal Reserve promotes economic growth. What efficiency do they provide? You know, we have a meeting coming out today, so we are rushing to get this out ahead of that. That being said, we usually have some time. You know. So they're not, they're not, they're definitely not efficient because we're waiting till nine or whatever to figure out when, and nobody really knows when everybody's always asking what time the meeting is and what day and looking on the chart. So it's not efficient. And what public interest, the public hates the federal reserve. Okay, let us continue against this backdrop. This report makes recommendations designed to improve the U.S. system of money and payments so that it best achieves a range of legislation goals. So there's four recommendations. Recommendation one, advance work on a possible U.S. central-backed digital currency in case one is determined to be in the national interest. Recommendation two, Encourage use of instant payment systems to support a more competitive, efficient, and inclusive U.S. payment landscape. Recommendation recommendation 3. Establish a federal framework for payments regulation and a way to protect users while supporting responsible innovations in payments. Well, that's a big recommendation. And then for this one is a red flag. Prioritize efforts to improve cross-border payments, both to enhance payment system efficiency and protect national security. (sighs) Cross-border. One world order. They're trying to make it happen, but I can smell the odor. We're reading on this white paper and they got them. I'm done rapping, but this is nuts. I mean, come on cross-border payments, and we're going to really dive deep into recommendation four. The general public uses public money 
in the form of paper currency or Federal Reserve notes for everyday transactions. Banks and certain institutions can access central bank reserve balances. Coin is also considered public money and is issued by the Treasury. There are 2.2 trillion in Federal Reserve notes. There's 3.3 trillion in reserve balances and 50 billion in coin. That's totaling about 5.55 billion dollars. Or tr- excuse me, trillion. 5.505 trillion dollars. Okay. Private money, on the other hand, includes commercial bank money and is dollar-denominated balances in commercial bank accounts. Certain other liabilities of non-banks, such as balances held with financial technology or fintech firms, or other non-bank financial institutions, or other payment providers to affect efficient transfers, can also be viewed as a private money user. There is currently at least 194 trillion dollars in private money in the United States compared to the 5.5 trillion dollars in public money. Oh my gosh. Like it's so hard for me not to get wound up because this is literally for me this looks like it's the Terra Luna it's the Terra Luna protocol. <laughs> That's what these guys are doing. It's an algorithmic stable coin and they just they just boost up the numbers on your phone. <laughs> it makes people feel like they're rich and then they spend their money and then well, when they when they don't want people to spend their money, they just take their numbers down. So we'll rise gas, we'll rise the cost of expenses. And so then you don't have enough money and so you stop paying for goods because they're scared about inflation. You know, this is just the scam stuff I'm talking about, and it's just really making my blood boil. Let me get back on into this because we have a lot to cover. Public and private money have coexisted throughout U.S. history. The Federal Reserve has coexisted. It's been around since like the early 1900s. I want to say 1904. When was the Federal Reserve established? Federal Reserve system was 1913. December 23rd. You heard Siri first. I should have just let, let next time I'm going to let her play. We're going to ask Siri all the time. That is my personal assistant. She does everything I say and she never doesn't listen. She never gives me sass. She never talks back. Even when I give her, you know, when I'm having my day, I'll tell you what, I'll give Siri the pot in the pan. I'll, I'll throw the kitchen sink at her, you know. I'll get on Siri's neck. And so she takes it every time like a real trooper. So shouts out to Siri for always being there for Web3 TV and C-Money. Central bank money, getting back on into this, presents no credit or liquidity risk because they're just printing the money out. This is obviously C-Money. I'm trying to add a little bit of, I have to add a little bit of, sarcasm in my voice so hopefully you can pick up on that but i have to break this down because it's going to be hard it's the way they write this is just such a chunk a ugly mustard chunk block of shit information so let's just read it and then i'll break it down 
Central bank money presents no credit or liquidity risk. Because of this, settlement in central bank money eliminates uncertainty in transactions, supporting economic activity and financial stability. By contrast, private money may present credit or liquidity risk, depending on the solvency and liquidity of the issuer, as well as the availability of a government backstop. Example, a central bank lender or of last resort, a deposit insurance. So basically, they're saying the central bank money presents, or, or, or public money, presents no credit or no liquidity risk. Because the money they're, they're, the money they're putting out there has already been out there, I guess. But quite frankly, I don't necessarily agree with that statement. Because we even talk about how private money usually promises conversion on a one-for-one basis into public money on demand. Because of this feature, when we talked about there's, not, there's so much more private money in the system, almost 4x or 4x, it's acceptable to bank runs. And we saw this in the Great Depression. Runs can happen when the solvency or the liquidity of the assets or liabilities of the private money issuer come into question and holders of private money seek to convert to public money, money they can use and spend. The risk of runs at federally and state chartered insured depository institutions is mitigated substantially through prudential supervision and regulation, eligibility to access the discount window, and Federal deposit insurance. Basically saying they got this thing on lock. They're choosing they're you know, you need to own a ridiculous amount of first of all, you need to be in a specific time window throughout the year. Then you need to have prudential supervision, which okay, I'll give them that. But then the federal deposit insurance, you just need to give them your money to to, to add to the Ponzi scheme, I guess. But not all private money enjoys similar safeguards, and therefore some issuers of private money may be more susceptible to runs, i.e. cryptos. Cryptocurrency isn't controlled by the government, but it's, it's public-private because <laughs> it's not issued by the central bank. It is a private intermediary, yet it's probably we all can use it. Kind of like a fintech firm, I guess. Because net settlement may not occur instantly, non-cash payment system can expose participants to credit risk and liquidity risk. We see blank checks getting getting cashed all the time, right? People people get their credit score wrecked on this all the time with conventional banks because they they cash this fake check, the check goes through, or the bank just trusts the user and they automatically cash it and then bam, the person withdraws the money out. ASAP and then the bank realizes what happened usually the person got set up so they send the money out and then they're down money and they have to pay their bank back non-cash payment systems that settle on a net basis establish rules procedures and controls for managing these risks sometimes they have it where you have to wait a couple days 
They often charge a whoppingly large fee for processing. <laughs> I added whoppingly large, but they, ask, they often add a fee for processing transactions, which I'm sure we're all aware of when we do banks, banking, uh, when we send money to, you know, peer-to-peer, i.e., or in other words, person-to-person. Oh, man. I tell you what, I heard something in the background through my headphones. We were so focused on this article, we do not have time to go back and redo it. Hopefully, there isn't some annoying buzz. Uh, It's so frustrating when you catch it at the end of doing a bunch of work. But, hey, best we can do is move forward. We're having a great day, so we're just going to keep on rolling with it. I'm glad I realized it for the rest of the podcast. But, condolences or consolidances, or whatever, true apologies, really sorry for that, so, retail instant payment systems, it's basically a process of small value interbank transfers such that funds are available nearly instantly, as opposed to the potentially multi-day settlement period for retail transfers on certain legacy bank payment systems today, instant payment systems usually use bank deposit money, but ultimately settle in central bank reserve balances, similar to other retail payment systems in the United States. Examples of instant payment systems include the Clearinghouse's RTP network, which was launched in 2017, and the FedNow service, which we talked about yesterday, which will be launched, or at least is scheduled to launch sometime in 2023. Use of payment payment sorry use of instant payments comes with new risks. Payments made across instant payment systems are generally irreversible and therefore expose users to increased risk because they can't reverse the transaction. A lot of times with those blank checks, they can check it before it really gets out of hand. Financial institutions that provide instant payments may need to manage incremental financial and operational risks. Basically kind of what I just said, new, new ways to mitigate this stuff. Including those related to intraday liquidity, anti-money laundering, and counterfeit. Sorry, anti-money laundering slash countering the finance of terrorism compliance and fraud detection, prevention, and response protocol or legislation, which is basically KYC for people who don't know. So AML, CFT is kind of the abbreviation for that, and obligations for institutions that directly participate in instant payment systems, such as different customer identification systems, could complicate efforts to create a seamlessly functioning wholesale CBDC. You know, nobody wants to submit their ID. You don't have to submit your ID to use the dollar bill. The problem is if you don't submit your ID to use this money, then how are they going to track it? Oh, then they're not going to know who's using it. Wholesale CBDC could be designed for large value financial transactions, kind of like XRP, side note. A natural use case for wholesale CBDC would be for large value payments, analogous to how reserve balances are transferred over Fedwire today. 
A CBDC could be designed for large value financial transactions. Oh, sorry, I, I already read that. <laughs> a CBDC could serve as a settlement asset for digital clearinghouses, which could convert one type of digital asset into another with the CBDC acting as a highly liquid bridge between assets. The problem with that is they're splitting up the currency. And we talk, we're talk. we going to talk about that later on, why that's an issue. But basically, we all know the metaphor of the snake. You know, you're, more, you're, you're stronger one than you are broken up. And so they really don't want to be in a position where they have to break up the currency. That would be a... That be an issue. Possibly. A retail CBDC could be designed as an alternative to payments using cash, checks, credit, or debit cards. Now, we typically see stuff like this in low-value transactions, you know, at the grocery store. I mean, even like lower than 10K is probably considered a low-value transaction to these guys. In these settings, users could value an instrument that is a central bank liability and is continuously available. Businesses might choose retail CBDC over today's standard instant payments or wires for a business-to-business payments, payroll, or other financial transactions. Design features that users may value in these include flexibility, safety, security, reversibility, and verifiability. What does verifiability mean? It could mean so much. Does that mean verifying who sent it or verifying that that money is real? A key question is whether CBDCs would pay interest. In particular, the Federal Reserve could consider whether wholesale U.S. CBDC would pay interest as the Federal Reserve balance is due today. With other, with other Federal Reserve liabilities. Paying interest could also encourage adoption to the introduction of a central bank digital currency. Big red flag right there, guys. Huge red flag. If the rate paid was in line with market rates in normal times, wholesale central bank digital currencies could crowd out the production of potentially risky forms of private money, such as money issued by non-bank intermediaries supporting financial stability. That said, a wholesale CBDC that paid interest could attract destabilizing inflows during stress, and also it would test the rate and they may need to adjust for downwards flows. So basically, if people aren't using the CBDC or too many people are using the CBDC, a retail CBDC could also pay interest. Although paper currency does not pay interest today, bank deposits often do. The retail bank deposit rate is often significantly lower than the relevant policy rate and quote-unquote sticky is how they call it in the industry. Money is sticky. Money, people want to hold it. 
As policy rates rise, deposit rates often follow sluggishly upwards. In theory, if an interest-bearing CBDC was viewed as a close substitute for bank deposits in terms of the use cases they support, deposits and lending rates might increase. That said, there may be practical considerations that limit this. As with wholesale CBDCs, any interest paid on retail CBDCs might need to adjust to minimize destabilizing flows, which would be controlled by the Federal Reserve Mafia. At its core, this currency system would need to support instant settlement in addition to the system would need to have appropriate cybersecurity, incident management, contingency plans, and continually plans to ensure availability of its functionalities, including and during natural disasters or when terrorists strike. A system like this would also have to support mitigation of money laundering and terrorist financing risks. Big red flag. Because terrorist financing risks is, you know, that's sketchy. Because you you could just show up as a false flag. I mean, I, I was listening when they were searching for 9-11 leads. They got the hotel records of everybody in LA over the course of a two-week period, and then they were getting people's library records and seeing what books they were checking out. And then when, you know, Edward Snowden came out and talked about how the NSA is spying on everybody, so clearly this whole this whole 9-11 thing is like they're, t- they're pushing it to the max with this whole terrorism thing. I mean, I, I agree, terrorism is bad, but we do not, I don't think there's too much, at least I hope there's not too much U.S. currency funding terrorists. And if we do, I mean, let's figure out, let's figure out something with that. That, 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 that could definitely be something that we include in our article. So I'm going to go ahead and highlight this. I'm going to add a comment. Bam. Okay. Because I think that's, I think that's important. I think that's something we could build on better. Beyond these core features, the system could also facilitate the use of transaction programmality or programmability to allow for functionality of money. For example, payroll, government, or bill payments could be automated using this system, similar to how it works today. Or new functions could be designed to facilitate micro and machine to machine payments. However, programmability could add additional risk to users. In terms of the underlying infrastructure, retail and wholesale central bag digital currencies could run on a centralized payment system or distributed ledger technology for processing payments. That's a big highlight of the episode. Because CBDCs is a risk because it would be a riskless liability of the central bank, current technology suggests that CBDCs would be transferred on a system administered by the central bank. Technological developments such as DLT could be, or, or, oh shit, DLT, oh. Oh, DLT. Okay, so I I thought I had some notes on that somewhere. DLT-based systems could be both permissioned 
meaning the network of nodes that verify or commit transactions would be pre-approved entities. RIP or permissionless, where any entity with the requisite technology and capacity could act as a node. However, a permissionless system could introduce distributed governance and would present substantial risk for a central back digital currency. It sounds... See, it's so ridiculous, guys. It's so ridiculous. God forbid we have distributed governance. Oh, my God. They literally said it right here. Hold on. Check this out. We just caught them in 4K. We just caught them in 4K. Okay. A U.S. central-backed digital currency could be designed to be interoperable with other foreign central-backed digital currencies. Oh, wow. Didn't we just say that one world currency was going to pop up again? Well, here it is. And it will support cross-border payments. Systems could have varying levels of interoperability, including separate but compatible CBDC systems that share common technological standards and alignment in their legal and regulatory frameworks. Common user interfaces or clearing mechanisms that are jointly designed or developed or adopted <laughs> across jurisdictions or jointly operated and governed multi central back digital currency systems research and experimental work have demonstrated the potential for interoperable cbdc systems to complete international transfers and foreign exchange operations in seconds compared to the days typically required for cross-border payments processed and settled through corresponding banking networks today achieving any of these models of interoperability will require advanced cooperation between jurisdictions during the development phase to establish common standards and legal frameworks. As with other payment systems, higher levels of interoperability can introduce counterparty risk. Anything that's good, it's like, oh gosh, it's a risk. I'm sorry. Every single day, this Adobe thing pops up and it's really starting to bug me because I heard it on my podcast yesterday and it bothered the heck out of me now i got now i got my damn setup all acting weird what is going on seriously the world's falling around me they don't want this info out (laughs) just kidding okay so there are two general architectures for a cbdc one is a single tier so this is kind of what we've talked about with central bank And the second is a two-tiered central bank digital currency where intermediaries, potentially banks or non-bank financial intermediaries, would onboard and manage payments while the central bank records account balances. Isn't that what the ledger's for? Oh, we don't want a public ledger. Gosh, oh, no, 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 no. It's like, bro, you guys are so silly. You guys are so silly. It makes my stomach hurt because there's no way that they, they could ever write write this paper without the Federal Reserve. That's what I need to that's what my paper is going to talk about. Under either approach, an end user's central bank digital currency holdings would represent a direct claim against the central bank. 
However, considerations for these general architectures may differ according to wholesale or retail. In a single-tier model for retail, the central bank would issue and interact directly with the public. The central bank would be responsible for all regulatory KYC information and obligations, including transaction monitoring, filing suspicious activity reports, and customer due diligence, which they kind of already do in banks, but that still is a huge red flag. The AML CFT obligations associated with holding these accounts would result in a government entity having access to customer due diligence and transaction information for all U.S. CBDC transactions which would represent a significant expansion of the U.S. government's access to financial data and should be carefully considered. It's like throwing up over here, guys. I'm throwing up. This model would also raise novel challenges for the KYC supervision, as another supervisory body would need to monitor the central bank's own AML-CFT compliance or KYC compliance. A more feasible model in the United States for intermediating a retail U.S. central bank digital currency would be a two-tiered system, which is in line with what a majority of jurisdictions globally are considering. Under this model, the Federal Reserve would issue and redeem U.S. central bank digital currencies, but the distribution of the U.S. central bank digital currency would be handled by intermediaries eligible for an account at the Federal Reserve and payment services would be managed by intermediaries and other private sectors. How many intermediaries do we fucking need? This would be similar to how paper currency is distributed through commercial banks, which is exactly what we're trying to fucking stop. It also shares similarities to responsibilities surrounding non-cash retail payments today. Okay, so they talked about that. They already know. The intermediaries on board provide customer support, and manage payments. In addition, intermediaries would likely implement KYC obligations while relevant supervisors would monitor compliance with those obligations. Both banks and non-bank financial intermediaries could support a wholesale CBDC. In a bank-based system, banks would provide all intermediation services in a hybrid system Non-banks could also provide custodial or wallet services. Banks could also provide a settlement layer that interacts directly with the central bank and non-banks could provide an interface to other financial institutions for the holding to transfer wholesale. <laughs> a lot of money. In all cases, intermediaries would need to ensure availability of wholesale central bank digital currencies, as well as a high degree of security and resilience. There is no way that they're going to just let it be on the chain. It's ridiculous. This is just such a tragedy. There could be an institution holding limits on a wholesale central bank digital currency. A range of characteristics of the intermediary could determine, that's how they talk, of the intermediary like, of the person, could determine holding limits, including size of a intermediary, other business lines of the intermediary, supervisory concerns, or other operational considerations. 
there could also be more general factors such as the degree to which the U.S. CBDC outstanding displace other liabilities on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, the size of the Federal Reserve's intermediation relative to overall private intermediation or effects on broader financial markets, including the market of treasury securities, these limits could change in times of stress, like we kind of talked about earlier. In particular, the Federal Reserve might opt to place limits on institutional holdings if flows into wholesale central bank digital currencies appear to be destabilizing to the broader money or financial markets. I got the outro plan way too early. And that's sad because this was already a long one. This place, okay, that just made me lose my spot. Wallets could also, basically what we got though is, okay, effects on the broader financial markets, including the market for treasury securities. These limits could change in times of stress. In particular, the Federal Reserve might opt to place limits on institutional holdings if flows into wholesale U.S. CBDC appear to be destabilizing to broader money or financial markets. Okay, now let's get it. Beyond these two architectures for core features, a range of intermediation models could apply. Consumers could hold retail central bank digital currencies and digital wallets, similar to some private digital wallets and non-bank payment service systems today. Wallets could allow users to convert between this central bank digital currency and commercial bank money or hold this CBDC alongside other digital assets, promoting convenience and flexibility. The wallets could provide payment verification services as well, particularly for larger value transactions. Data structures and regulatory frameworks could be established to promote consumer privacy and, as appropriate, additional standards for reversibility or error mitigation. So some policy considerations. The policy considerations discussed in this section are based on the objectives set out in the executive order and outlined in the appendix. These considerations relate to the four broad terms. Building the future of money and payments. The future system of money and payments should be efficient. Supporting U.S. global leadership. The future, that's the bullshit. The future money and payment systems should be consistent with the global role of the dollar, enable the enforcement of sanctions, and advance democratic values, human rights, and, here we go, privacy. Advancing, number four, or this is number three, advancing financial inclusion and equity, and then number four, minimizing risks. It's very interesting to look at this next paragraph, which talks about the cost of operating a U.S. central bank digital currency, and it would likely be in lines with those comparable private sector systems to comply with the Federal Reserve's policies regarding provision of priced services. Even so, some consideration of the cost of developing a central bank digital currency and how the costs shift with the react to design choices as well as the time to deploy may take should be noted. Transactions using instant payment systems can occur in seconds, and we know even less. But it is possible that this CBDC could offer even greater throughput 
The pricing of instant payment systems to participating institutions will depend on the cost of operating the service, plus a private sector adjustment factor that imputates a profit margin. And that's where it's like, come on, bruh. Why? Why? Private sector, I just hit myself. Ah! But it doesn't even make sense. I'd rather just work with the Federal Reserve. I'm going to keep it real. If I'm working with somebody, why do I got to work with the bank than the Federal Reserve? doesn't make sense. Pricing of instant payments for consumers will depend on competitive dynamics. So after that bombshell announcement, they kind of were like, yeah, we need to kind of scale it back. So they said, more generally, code for CBDC could be open source, expanding the pool of developers who can review and build on the code base. Although open source code may carry its own operational risks that must be considered, protocols built by such developers could be combined to support additional services. At the time, given the need for this new monetary system to be extremely reliable and stable, it may not be able to experiment with the latest technological developments as fast as the private sector can. Yeah, they don't want to they don't want to fuck up their name. Public private partnership and the payment system should support innovations from the public and private sector. Okay? To meet the various public policy goals of the United States. In turn, innovations from partnerships could bring building blocks for other technologies similar to how the internet was first introduced as a public sector initiative. Now, a public sector initiative is basically where the government offers grants for something they like. So they've been given out grants for roads. They give out grants for infrastructure, Um, pipelines, sewage, et cetera, et cetera. They've, they've been doing it for internet as of lately, which is really cool when you see stuff like this coming out where you'd need the internet for a central bank digital currency. So it's almost like they knew before we did, huh? The United States uses sanctions and other financial measures to address national security, i.e. Russia, and the effectiveness of these tools rests in part of the strength and centrality of the U.S. financial system. It's kind of a lie. And currency as well as coordination with allies and partners to magnify the economic and political impact. None of that has been working so far. Let's just know. Let's just know. All the NATO guys are literally getting wrecked by Russia right now. Like Literally. Look at the ruble. Just look at the ruble. (sighs) Moreover, any financial institution participating in the U.S. instant payment systems will be required to adhere to U.S. sanctions, and these systems are not expected to meaningfully change the efficacy of U.S. sanctions. To the extent that stablecoins increase demand for dollars globally, or depending on the design and compliance with sanctions obligations, stablecoin arrangements could help preserve the efficacy of sanctions in the long term. While stablecoin backed by assets that are not denominated in dollars may be issued by financial institutions that do not hold dollar-based reserves 
or are not U.S. persons, other involved financial institutions may have U.S. sanction obligations. Wow. Payment systems, including a potential CBDC, should be designed in a manner consistent with democratic values. That's number one. Okay. Human rights and privacy. Some countries may seek to leverage new payment systems for CBDCs to surveil citizens and possibly non-citizens, exert influence or pressure on political opponents or control economic activity. They just said it, guys. We caught him again. Let's just read that again. And they're saying, well, we would never do this. And I, this isn't even the part of the paragraph I have highlighted, so I don't even want to see the next part. Payment systems, including a potential central bank digital currency, should be designed in a manner consistent with democratic values, human rights, and privacy. Some countries, some countries, that's what they say, some countries, that's, that's literally verbatim the language they used in this shit show, piece of shit report. Some countries may seek leverage new payment systems for CBDCs so they can surveil citizens. Or okay, let me let me let me let me keep the quote. Let me keep because I'm I'm skipping around because I'm getting pissed. Okay. Payment systems, including a potential central bank digital currency, should be designed in a manner consistent with democratic values, human rights, and privacy. Some countries may seek to leverage new payment systems or central bank digital currencies to surveil citizens and possibly non-citizens, exert influence or pressure on political opponents, or control economic activity. Privacy considerations may be especially pronounced for communities hesitant or unable to engage in the existing financial system and for certain types of transactions that may present political or social risks to individuals, specifically members of disenfranchised communities and political activists. To promote privacy and human rights globally and to aid in adoption, this currency should prioritize privacy and minimize the amount of transaction and personal and see that's what they always do after dropping some bombshell bullshit they they drop in with this fluff bullshit article i'm not even gonna i'm gonna read it because i have to but this is just really pissing me off because every time i I see something i stop and i really dig on deep into it it's like oh here's a good a silver lining it's like no dude there is no fucking silver lining this is fucked to promote privacy and human rights globally and to aid in adoption, central bank digital currencies should prioritize privacy and minimize the amount of transactions and personal identifiable information collected by the central bank. The system designed deployment and maintenance should adhere to privacy engineering and risk management practices, including dissociability the principle of least privilege and data minimization. Technological innovations such as privacy-enhancing technologies and zero-knowledge proofs could increase functionality 
while maintaining additional privacy protections. The United States could consider prioritizing research and development in privacy-enhancing technologies as a critical component of U.S. central bank digital currency technological research. That sounds really good. Like, really, like, sounds sounds beautiful. Like, was that Obama in here? Was that just Obama in here freaking spitting bars? Or is that C-Money? Because that was, like, worded perfectly and everything. The payment system should expand equitable access to deposit payment products and services, as well as bank and other sources of credit. This includes expanding access for people of color, rural communities, individuals without the internet access, and individuals with cognitive, motor, or sensory impairments. The payment system should prevent harm. Oh my god. Oh my god. Guys, I'm sorry. I shouldn't even say that. You know, cross cross my heart. Should not be saying that, but... What do you mean? What do, what do you mean? That's a direct quote from this dumpster fire. The payment system should also prevent harm. And that's it. And they just move on. Technological advances, educational material, and support should be leveraged to overcome the potential technological and economic barriers to using a payment system. Um, uh, What do you mean... The payment system should also prevent harm. Uh, what? Like, like, basically, you just talk about, you literally talk about people of color, rural communities, individuals without resources to maintain expensive devices, a, a phone, or reliable internet access, a free library, so... Dr- what I'm thinking, drug addicts, but I'm sure there's someone out there who doesn't have a phone somewhere going through it. And individuals with cognitive, motor, or sensory impairments probably have an overseer, but okay. And then it says, the payment system should also prevent harm. Bro, what? No, it shouldn't. No, it, it, it shouldn't. Your role isn't to tell me what to do and you can't prevent me what I spent what I want to spend my money on that's the whole point of this right that's the whole point of this we talked about this yesterday and honestly if you if yesterday might have been a better podcast for people because this is really digging on deep and really telling you guys what they are saying I did not want to sit on this podcast for this long I think I'm only halfway through but I mean, come on, dude. The bombshell is being dropped in this report. You can't, you, you, you cannot take this stuff out. I mean, I'm skipping through a lot of it, but I, you gotta include this stuff. This is insane. Use of a new payment system, including a potential U.S. central bank digital currency, should not be mandated. That's what they said. I skimmed out that part. That article quite or that sorry excuse me paragraph because it basically was saying if they mandated the central bank digital currency people aren't going to want to use it back on into it for consumers wary of the banking system non-bank providers such as me other or sorry excuse me non-bank providers i'm a non-bank consumer non-bank providers offer similar accounts or other intermediary 
functionalities. However, they currently generally lack direct access to Federal Reserve payment systems and are not subject to comprehensive federal prudential regulation, i.e. the government is not really going to bail out anybody that lost money on Bitcoin. Future developments could potentially erode the singleness of the currency. The emergence of private forms of money, including digital assets that are not subject to effective prudent oversight, could introduce significant levels into the payment system. Fragmentation of the payment system could also result from the growth of private forms of money that are not interoperable. Inflows into central bank digital currencies could be destabilizing, particularly if there was fear or contagion that led solvent or liquid banks or other institutions to be perceived as fragile. Uh, what? <laughs> see, see, like, this is like the red flag. Like, if they're, if they're liquid and if they're solvent and if they're perceived as fragile and everybody takes their money out, they're solvent. So they're good. If anything, they'll be better because they'll get to charge people act or a deactivation fee. But no, that's not the truth. The truth is, these banks aren't solvent. None of them are. That's that's literally what we said. There's nineteen million dollars in private money, five point zero five trillion dollars in public money. So what do you mean? How can these banks be solvent? In fact. Based on my math, they only have about a fourth of the money they claim, which is interesting because that is actually a whole paper that a whole legislation thing the Federal Reserve had launched that just kind of got me thinking about the um, requirements of banks and how much money they must have in their system. If a central bank digital currency reduces bank deposits, banks may have more or less ability to make loans, in addition to potential increase in bank liquidity risk. Because no one's giving them money. No one's, there's, there's no way they can print new money. A wholesale central bank digital currency that is available only to those institutions that currently have access to reserve balances would minimize any potential effect on the credit creation at the time of implementation okay guys so we're gonna we're gonna launch just central bank digital currency we're just gonna send it to the bank first so you guys can charge the people your little fee and then we'll just set it we'll just roll it out like that they'll never know got them it's bullshit it's bullshit the fat f calls for standards of central bank digital currencies to be subject to the same standards as fiat currencies in the G7 policy principles for CBDCs acknowledge that a CBDC issuer needs to integrate a commitment to mitigate their use in facilitating crime. As a leader in the international financial system, the U.S. central bank digital currency should be designed to promote AML, CFT, or KYC compliance and mitigate illicit financial risks. This should include a form of effective identity verification and enough access to data to enable compliance with 
money laundering laws, obligations such as transaction monitoring and record keeping as necessary. Oh, 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 what the fuck? I mean, I guess they already do all that stuff now. The United States has set over... They set overreaching environmental priorities, including cutting U.S. greenhouse gas pollution. Or overarching. I wish it was... I wish they said it was overreaching, because it is. But they said overarching. Environmental priorities, including cutting U.S. greenhouse gas pollution by 50 to 52% by 2030 and transitioning to a net zero emissions economy by 2050. A new payment system or improvements to existing payment systems should be compatible with these priorities and seek to minimize energy use. Excuse me. I had a really good smoothie this morning. (laughs) resources, greenhouse gas emissions, and other pollution, and improve environmental performance relative to the status quo of the existing payment system. So basically, it's probably going to be a proof of stake, proof of history. Oh, man. I'm just so bummed out by this. Like, it ruins my day. So that's that's really what we got so far. We... we We uh, didn't completely finish writing this, so we we were probably we probably ended on a good page forty eight out of fifty seven, which isn't like me, but I do have a web two job. I have been working an insane insane amount of overtime. We have been getting it in, folks. What can I say? And this is the time to do it. This podcast right here was about three times as long as the other podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get some value out of this because this is genuinely one of the craziest times of the country's history. Because when you look at the inception of a currency and how much symbolism is on the dollar, that should, that should just show you how much it means. All the triangles, all the little verification signals and how, how big of a deal this is. It's not every day that they release a new dollar. It's once in a lifetime. It's, it's once in a ever that the payment system goes digital. And so this is just huge and it's important that we get this done right. So now that we have this information out there. You guys go read that. If you would like to get what I just read to you, I was I skipped some of it just to try to honestly, I read pretty much all of it. But if you would like that to read it for yourself, to reread it, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter at Soggy Margin. I will send that over. And next, we are preparing our draft to send to the Department of Treasury and letting them know that their idea of current cryptocurrencies being used for crime is preposterous. It's preposterous and it's just like saying 
U.S. dollars are used by the cartel because it's true. But you can't you can't say U.S. dollars are bad. I mean, cash is king, right? Not all kings are great, but if all kings were great, they wouldn't be king. <laughs> Somebody would have killed them already. So anyway, that's gonna do it from all of us here at Web Three TV. I'm C Money, and don't just have a great day. Have a DeFi day. Baby, I turn to crash. Just buy for 30 days, food at the gas station. Bitch, wanna fuck at the clubs and ass shake. Well, bitch, one night in her back break. Cook on the boy, you give me a break. Jewelry, ghetto shit. He gave me a chain, he came with a switch. Nigga, stop now, you ain't walking that switch. Bitch, that nigga, I'm up and I click. And smooth with a scat pack, Charles, you lift. My white bitch look like Ellen DeGeneres. Stayed in the car, stop saying you spent me. Said he walked out, he ain't up that fit. Got so much money, I don't even post when I get new jewelry, nigga, I all type of rich So much money and so many homies, trust it, bitch, ain't all my pennies I don't drink, fucked up my pennies 21 and a 19, I got up, 21 and a 19, bitch, I'm sipping Remember the Drake, nigga, I'm a killer My bitch in the Gucci, I buy a new list I hate you, baby, you know that I'm drinking I don't take on my lap, I'm fucking them bitch I walk with a stick, them nigga, I rich Stop saying that shit in your rap, shit, don't live You man just died, I know that you live You live Shout out to my grandma house to a trap house. Out to my uncle house to a crack house. Hit with that blood and that nigga wanna rack out. 762s, we using them black out. 4 to a 10, get cooked 10 rocks. And the 14 to 20 and cook, what's it? I feel like.